Hello and welcome to the Surgical Spirit Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Haida Al-Hakim, the Third Eye Doctor. Pull up a chair and get ready for some candid and uncompromising discussion with experts, innovators, agitators, and influential people from every corner of health and well-being. From inside the hospital to at home in the kitchen, we're leaving no stone unturned in our quest to uncover the secrets of healthier, happier, more successful, and less stressful lives. Thank you so much for joining us, and without further ado, let's meet this episode's guest. Hello, Papa. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Hello, Haydar. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm. I'm good. I'm good. Um, it's my day off today, so I'm really happy that uh, I don't have to see patients. I mean, it's not that I don't like seeing patients. Um, I don't know. I think it's having that time to sort of decide how you want to spend it which is nice um but it gets boring sometimes and i'm sure you'll give me a lecture of why is it getting boring this isn't this yeah. shouldn't be happening life is life shouldn't be boring there's far too much to do for life to be boring so tell me about because you came here to the uk at, uh, at the age of 16 what what was life before the uk oh life before the uk was my norm it was um living in shiraz which is the city of wine and roses in iran uh, i was born and bred there um, went to school there two years of high school so two years from finishing when my uh, parents finally decided that they needed to immigrate um, so that they could give myself and my sister a better life so uh, life in iran uh, pre-revolution so I was seven at the time of the Islamic revolution so pre-revolution life was very different from post-revolution life and that kind of almost changed very quickly you know um, I want to say overnight but these things don't happen overnight they happen gradually but you know it just kind of felt like it was an overnight change because we had a very very different style of life and then we very quickly learned that all that certainty, all that normality had changed and we kind of soon needed to get used to a different kind of life altogether, and, which then and, became normal. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, I presume your parents thought that this wasn't compatible with, with what they wanted uh, because it's quite a big upheaval, you know, taking the family away from mm -hmm. such a, Absolutely. you know, you know, such a um, essentially a, a long heritage and... Mm -hmm you know, um, a culture that they've been used to for such a long time. Absolutely. So uh, my dad uh, went to Germany uh, when he was in his early 20s to study. So he spent uh, the majority of his youth there, about 10, 12 years of his um, youth was spent there and also in Switzerland working after he graduated in Germany. Yeah. Um, and he went back to serve his country with the qualifications that he had. And then he had a really good job and he was really successful in the job that he had. So his mom, mom was educated. She worked they were both highly regarded professionals. Um, they had built an 18-year life together, um, really lovely home that was mortgage-free. They had their, you know, support network there. Um, and they did their annual kind of European trips before the revolution. And I remember mom was really keen to actually move abroad because 
it was very pretty you know we went to places like Luxembourg and kind of you know you walk around and it's just utterly beautiful and you go to a kind of you know Germany you walk around in Stuttgart and it's just gorgeous you know and mom always wanted a big garden and wanted a life like that and um, she'd say to dad let's sell the house in Shiraz we can buy like four properties here and we can have a really lovely home and dad would say no 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 you don't know what it's like to live abroad you know it's really lonely you don't have your family and friends around you it's just very different we don't belong here and yet it was um, dad who then in the end decided you know enough is enough and we kind of need to go so they had the opportunity of moving to the west somewhere um, where they could have a prosperous life way before the revolution even but they chose not to because they wanted to kind of you know have that um, community that they were part of and their jobs they love their jobs and then unfortunately they just had to do it and as you say the upheaval was huge then because it was um, done just after the war finished the Iran-Iraq war so we migrated just after um, and as they were deciding to immigrate and kind of, you know, converting the real to pounds and how much they could bring out so that they could invest and buy houses and do this and that and the other. By the time that um, dream was realized because the war had finished, inflation hit Iran and they literally the value of their money dropped. You know, Hedari, if I'm being honest, I can see a lot of what went on back there, uh, back then now you know as we're experiencing life that um i'm just waiting for inflation to hit us huge inflation i think it already has um, i'm really really aware of it um so this covid situation we're just coming out of um is going to hit us hard economically and so i see parallels definitely between what my parents went through yeah. uh, in their midlife as they were leaving and as I am now in my midlife, um, kind of witnessing everything. So I feel like I've been there. It's like a sense of deja vu. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you know, uh, go, going back to the war, what was that like, you, you know, living in Iran during the Iran-Iraq war? Not nice. Uh, yeah. We were in Shiraz, and Shiraz wasn't the center that was being attacked a lot. However, a lot of the uh, refugees from the southern um, Iran, Abadan, and Afwas came to Shiraz actually. So we could see firsthand what death and devastation was like for people. Um, so that changed the environment of Shiraz quite a lot actually after the refugees came um, and also um, we did witness a little bit of it during our new year for some bizarre reason at around kind of you know March time when no ruses there would always be a little bit of a tension and then we'd have a few missiles dropped on us um, and uh, um, the war shelter that was built in the playground of my high school was already uh, a place of safety for us anytime the sirens came we would go and hide there and this particular day the headmistress came to the classroom when we were in the middle of math um, and the sirens were raised she invited us to leave the school very quickly we did and lo and behold, that day, the war shelter was actually um, annihilated, this hot missile. So <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> it was it was kind of, you know, it was we were that close to death at any particular moment in time. And I don't even think I realized it back then. It's now that I kind of tell this story and people have this reaction of, wow, that must have been really scary. I'm like, yeah, it must have, that must have been scary. But you know what it's like? You know, you're very well aware of how we build kind of coping mechanisms around these yeah. scary situations and just kind of even forget about them so it's something that's 
not even front of mind for me. So that became our norm, you know, and this is again the similarities that I see between then and now um, yeah. that this um, kind of limited life that we lived during the COVID time became the norm for many. Many are actually living it still now, even though um, the world has opened up quite a lot. There are many, um, and I know some, a friend I met a couple of days ago said, I'm still not going out a lot because of COVID and like the world's open, you know, you, yeah. you can come out, you're allowed. Um, so people very quickly get used to the norm that's imposed on them, if yeah. you like, yeah. you know? Yeah, and 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 um, I mean, I, I, I remember I was in, I was in Iran at the time in 84, um, and the city I was in was, if I remember, Arumia, and it was being bombarded by by the Iraqi Air Force and bombs going off. And, our, you know, I'll be out there sort of looking at things and the parents and the adults would be in the shelter and that, you know, they'd be, you know, shouting at me to sort of come back into the shelter. But, you know, mm -hmm. being a kid, you're just fascinated by all this, mm -hmm. you know, the noise and the uh, and, you know, the commotion and um uh you know the action so to speak and you know you don't yeah. you don't realize the consequences of if, if anything goes wrong no precisely precisely you don't think and that's a blessing for children you were lucky that you were excited about it you were <laughs> um, an adventurous seeker obviously you know um, my sister to this day um dislikes fireworks and the loud noises of fireworks for example they remind her too much of the uh, missiles um, and the bombs and the shootings and everything else. So it's um, kind she of an older sister? Affects us differently. No, she's younger, four and oh. a half years younger. Yeah. But yeah. she remembers clearly. Um, she remembers more than I do. So she obviously kind of allowed herself to feel it at the time. She remembers it, whereas I was obviously kind of in total denial of what was going on. <laughs> not not sensing anything and therefore kind of you know pushing everything down and forget freaking all about it tomorrow is another day and you know life back to normal really well you know being being the older children we tend to kind of grow up a bit quicker than than the younger ones and then the younger ones Definitely. take a bit more time for them to grow up because they've got someone grown up already so they can stay in their childlike state and you know Absolutely. we had you know yes. we there's we, that pressure on us yeah, to sort of step up and you know be be the the new parents, um, you know, which is good for the parents because then they can you know they don't have to bring up <laughs> the child really because we do the bringing up for them. That's yeah. There's an element of truth to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember my. I mean, I've got an older sister, so uh -huh. you know, really, I mean, when I look at my character and you know all of my you know, idiosyncrasies and ups and downs and so on. And, and I look at my sister, it's pretty much the same. So, you know, she taught me well, so to speak, you know. Um, and then I guess I've got a younger sister and I kind of passed it on to her. Um, and then I've got a younger brother who's kind of he's still, he's still a bit of a child. He won't, he, he won't like me saying these things if he listens to it. Um, and then I got another two brothers as well. So I've got three brothers uh, younger than me. Um, you know, I try not to teach them anything really just, uh, I'm too old for it teaching them. Yeah. 
that's interesting, that relationship, isn't it? It's uh, recently that I've kind of investigated a little bit more into the dynamics of uh, the relationship between my sister and I. And as you say, um, I kind of stepped up in the capacity of a caregiver for her because um, I actually grew up with a nanny. So my mom went back to work when I was 40 days old. Um, and as a result, I grew up with a nanny who then got married and left at the, when I was seven. And my sister would have been um, just about four, four and a bit, okay. Um, and at the time, or three, three and a half actually she would have been. At the time, um, you know, we had long summer holidays and mom and dad worked throughout the year. So the three months of the summer, um, I'd be home looking after my sister also. And very quickly, obviously, kind of I stepped up into the caregiver role. And as a result, we have a very different relationship now. But at the time, I think it was very much like a mother and child relationship that she would, you know, she would feel very safe in my company. She said, she says things that I don't remember. For example, she said, do you remember you taught me this, that and the other? And I'm like, no, I have no recollection of that. Do you remember um, I was scared one night when there was um, a thunder and lightning happening? I came to your room and you were explaining how thunder and lightning were. Um, no. I don't remember that. And then because of that and the sense of responsibility perhaps that I had towards her, I have kind of all along as we've grown up alongside each other, kind of felt that sense of responsibility towards her. And I think to a certain extent that's taken that kind of self-leadership away from her. And mm -hmm. that's a really interesting thing that I've recently come to kind of realize and I say, you know, for you it could have been it would have been very difficult i guess when i was constantly kind of saying to you this is how you should be this is what you should be doing and we're very very different beings anyway so what serves me doesn't at all serve her and for her to want to kind of live in almost my shadow has been quite difficult and now i kind of realize that that relationship was because i was in a care of it, uh, in the role of a caregiver for her and it wasn't difficult for me. It wasn't easy for me and it wasn't easy for her. It was difficult for both of us, really, when you think about it. But um, awareness is everything, isn't it? Now that we have an awareness of it, we can work through it and um, make it better. Not that our relationship isn't great. It's always been great. The best of friends, she's my rock, actually. She's my number one supporter and my rock. But um, that's kind of the nature of the relationship is shifting as we're growing older. It's more on an equal footing rather than me being the caregiver. Yeah. Is that because she's um, stepped up, so to speak, or, or have you both, stepped I down a bit? Yeah. Both. I think both. I think um, both of us have realized what was going on because, um, and I'm very open and honest with her when I kind of come to these realizations and say, oh, I have a, you know, I have a response to what's been happening. I think that this is what's happening or that's what's been happening. And she says, yeah, I think so too. So, um yeah, it's a different relationship that we have together, which is much more equal and much more grown up and adult, really. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then you came here to the UK, and and you found yourself um, in a caregiving role as well. Um, very much so. Yeah. Very much so, because we were going to the same school. My English was better than hers, um, and I felt uh, responsible again at break times to check up on her, make sure she was fine, make sure that we were catching two buses to get to school, make sure that you know we got up on time and got ourselves ready and gone up uh, back to school. Um, it was 
again, I think that part was quite tough because for me, I was adjusting myself. So it was really tough to adjust to a different culture altogether. Um, and I was doing my GCSEs as I was learning English. So that part of it was quite tough too. So to have that sense of responsibility for her uh, was unkind, I think. But we don't know what we don't know, right? I didn't know it at the time. And 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 what was your kind of um, bedrock or or sort of thing that that gave you support and solace and and um, relief at the time? Uh, my own resilience, just studying, right. just studying. I had one mission. Um, I had realized what a huge sacrifice my mom and dad made to come here. They didn't need to. Okay, um, they only came here to give us a better chance of education so I had that huge huge sense of responsibility that I should perform well and uh, the whole purpose of us being here was so that I could study and go to university and get a job and tick all the boxes that the society expects us to tick and I didn't disappoint I did all of those so for me number one mission was to learn English pass exams and get myself a secure job so used to this kind of constant pressure on you and it and and you probably thrived in this in this pressure thrive what does thrive mean i thrived as in i succeeded yeah again the success that the society defines for us but i wasn't thriving i was actually slowly slowly dying inside i think Mm. and and you know when you say society you mean more about the sort of parents no, um, I think that it is a society. All right, it's so is it, it was a UK the society, society as well. at large. No, it's our it's our world. I mean, um, mm. Iran society is actually uh, more pressured when it comes to education. Mm. So you know, I come from a background of females being educated as well as the males. So my grandmother left her three children at a time and then had another one later with nannies and went and went to university and you know got her masters and she was a headmistress until um you know she retired so she was very very driven and then as a result the girls in the family were you know expected to um, study as well as the boys and of course because it was a privilege that didn't come easy they you know valued it even more so i think I grew up thinking that there was no option but to go to university and study. It was like there were no other options available. That was the only choice that I had. So when you talk about Thrive, um, of course, I ticked a lot of boxes and I looked extremely successful from the external person's point of view. um, But I was not um, happy in myself. And, and, and when did you sort of realize that fully and you thought to yourself, do you know what, this is, you know, this is not for me anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have a bit of a personal revolution here. Personal revolution, that's exactly what I had. Um, I guess my kind of sliding door moment, I call this the sliding door moment. My sliding door moment came when I kind of had my child really late in life. I was 36 when I had Harry. What? You look about 26 now. What are you talking about? (laughs) You're going back in time, is it? I have a great plastic surgeon, obviously. Uh, Time machine. Um, (laughs) I was 36 when I had him, and that was the first time I took time out of life and work, literally, to care for this beautiful being. And that's the first time I actually let myself be 
and I almost grew up with him, I think, you know. Um, I was a child with him and I grew up with him. I went back to having fun, you know, dancing, singing, thing, you know, doing things that I never did as a child. And then I kind of fell in love with personal development as a result of actually having some time on my hands to um, do what I wanted to do because I was awfully high achieving before that. Not only I had my um, job, which was very demanding, um, you know, at, right at the start of my job, I used to do 24 hour shifts, so really, really demanding. But I was also building a portfolio of properties um, alongside that because my job never rocked my boat. It was never satisfying for me. This is so an NHS looked, job. This, this is, is an, what, yeah. Yeah, this is a sort of senior uh, managerial NHS job. No, I wasn't. I never got to the managerial role ah. because it wasn't for me. I never fitted the um, this the kind of um, the boxes of being an NHS manager because I wasn't a yes person, so oh, I, right. I couldn't do that. No, I was clinically high up, so I yeah. got to the top of my uh, career. Um, uh, with uh, my clinical backgrounds. I'm a radiographer. I specialized mm. in MRI. And then I got my reporting um, degree in MRI, also my um, my kind of um, almost master's. I didn't actually sit the final exam because there was no point because it wasn't supported in the trust that I um, studied it. it. They wouldn't allow me to report, uh, but I went through the motions and actually got my uh, reporting um, postgrad certificate. To and then, you know, you probably eyes. like sort of looked at reports and you think to yourself, no, that's a lot of rubbish. And then no, you go I, to I the and then you go to the doctor and say, look, didn't you see this here? Didn't you see that here? Exactly. Do, do you and then they're like, Absolutely. oh yeah, you're right. Actually, I didn't notice that. And you think to yourself. Here's me Absolutely. telling the uh, radiologist yeah. their job, yeah. and it, you know. Yeah, because because all the radiologists were um, reporting MRIs, but some of them weren't MR trained, and um, my reports were certainly better than theirs. So um, yeah. there's no doubt about it because I had to I had to pass with 99% specificity and um, accuracy. So I had to be that much better because it's a um, role extension. With role extensions, you have to be way better than. Um, person who's kind of you know in that working in that capacity but not a specialist you know so yeah. specialist MR radiologists are definitely and you know was there uh, some better. kind of you know sexism there and and so racism there involved or looking back always or, always yeah, always racism yeah. but I never let it in because I'm quite a strong personality and I saw it for what it was and I was like you well and truly within your right not to like me because I'm different but yeah. it's your loss <laughs> so um, I never kind of let it in, but definitely racism all throughout my um, schooling and my uh, university and my work. So you didn't use that badge, you just sort of brushed it away and just carried Absolutely. on and, and, yeah, and just yeah. got better and stronger and more resilient. Yeah, do you know? Yeah, because for every person who didn't like me, there were hundreds who did like me. So I kind of chose to associate with the ones that did rather than with the ones that didn't so we always have this thing don't we that um i know our subconscious is leading us always to kind of you know pay attention to the negative and dismiss the positive because we're like that aren't we otherwise we wouldn't survive would have survived millions of years ago but however i kind of you know i loved what i was doing clinically and um i love building my relationships i just built the relationships with the ones that liked me and forgot about the ones who didn't um but for me, I think this whole kind of personal revolution journey, as um, you were asking, came when I started 
personal development and then realized that I hadn't really kind of had a path of my own in mind. I had kind of traveled down somebody else's path. Okay, I was never pushed. So this isn't um, a suggestion that there was any push or whatsoever. It was that expectation. And this is a really interesting thing. I don't know, I'm curious to um, find out what your thoughts are. I don't know whether it's really the expectations that are driving us that way, or is it because we think the expectations are there? So if I was to have an open conversation with my parents, for example, not that I knew what an open conversation was like back then, but if I was to have an open conversation with them and say, look, this isn't my path, I want to do something else. I'm sure they would have been open to it. I'm sure they yeah. wouldn't have said no. But yeah, I, I mean, didn't, it... I didn't even realize I had that choice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it boils down to, you know, essentially the known and the unknown. So it was unknown mm. to you at that period of time. Mm. And then you're exposed to that part of the unknown that became known to you. Mm. And then it became a different paradigm for you. Totally. It was like and it's a sort of, shift. Like yeah, a you, you know, you, shift. you sort of realize that there is another world out there which you haven't experienced, which is scary. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it creates Do a lot of anxiety. <laughs> yeah you know sort of it does create that 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 sort of uneasiness but once that subsides you start walking out into the unknown and it becomes more known and then it's a new a new page for your journey in life absolutely it's a totally new chapter totally new chapter yes um it's almost as if you kind of you die and you're reborn again you know? yeah you're yeah kind, yeah you know the heroes the hero's journey that joseph campbell talks about it literally is like yeah um, yeah and, you know, it yes. is about the journey and it is about the, is, um, yeah. you know, uh, uh, the hero's journey, you know, wh whether mm -hmm. it's uh, a refugee female hero's journey or sort of anyone else. Um, who were the kind of figures at that time that really got you excited about personal development when you first started? Uh, ordinary people. First of all, it was the ordinary people because the books were like, you know, the authors were just these kind of famous beings that I would never have any face-to-face -face contact with. They were kind of people that you might possibly put on kind of pedestals, you know. So the people who really changed my perspective were the ordinary people I was meeting, people had beautiful stories. So um, I always joke that, you know, but it's not a joke, it's real, that I became an explorer when I was really kind of thinking there is another way to be. I'm sure, but I just don't know what it is. It's like the status quo is no longer serving me. It's just not good enough, but I don't know what to do. I keep thinking, I have no idea what I can do because this is all I've ever done. So I decided to become an explorer. And another sliding door moment was like when I was supposed to go to this uh, forum, personal development forum uh, with a friend because I didn't want to walk into this place by myself. And my friend phoned in sick that morning. Uh, and this was uh, in Excel in London that I was going to. Um, she said she couldn't come. Then I went online to book my train ticket and there were no trains running. There were only buses to London because there, were, there was engineering work on the road. So it was like, you know, you can't go, you can't go. And I'm like, I'm gonna go because I've committed to this. This is a day out for me because Harry was about five at a time. I was like looking forward to a day out. Um, so I just got out by myself and I drove. I drove there actually and um, parked in some nearby car park and then kind of you know, got myself there and it was the best thing I ever did it was that day that actually changed the trajectory of my life because what I happened? realized uh, you know the 
entrepreneurs that I saw, the business people I spoke to had a very, very different mindset, a very different approach to the professionals I was used to speaking to. Um, they all had a story. They weren't afraid of sharing their story. They weren't afraid of sharing the stories of their failures. Whereas, you know, you know that, and I know that from a medical background, everybody wants to talk about their wins. Nobody is brave enough to talk about their failures. We don't want to talk about our failures because we're, you know, we don't fail, we only win. Um, and I was, it was just so refreshing to speak to people. And they didn't know me from Adam, but they were willing to share the stories with me. I thought, oh my God, this is just a revelation. That was the start of um, me falling in love with events like that and just registering for every single one that was going. Lots of uh, networking meetings, personal development forums. So I kind of drowned myself in that for years before I found my Ikigai, I got myself a coach. Meeting my coach was another kind of sliding door moment because um, if I hadn't, and if I hadn't then nurtured that relationship to get more out of him, I wouldn't be where I am. So it's like, you know, all the opportunities, I think when we are, so, you know, I, you know, that's the framework I work within is the framework of kind of the values, identity and purpose, I call it the VIP. When you know your VIP, when you know who you are, when you know what you love doing, the direction of travel is very, very clear you know exactly what you're looking for and that's how you start seeing opportunities so i actually started seeing opportunities that might have been there before but i would have been blinded to them and not only i was seeing the opportunities i was actually taking steps towards um, nurturing those relationships and not only building them but then nurturing them so every kind of you know six months these shows were on I would go back I would go back and see uh, the exhibitors and the people that I had made relationships before just to say hi and then I have a coffee and hang around with them and that's how you put yourself in an environment where you are kind of you know aiming to um be like the people that live in that environment. So changing your environment is very, very um, important when you are trying to be somebody else, do something else new. So this process of change is deemed to be very difficult by people because people don't expect to do anything different. They expect themselves to just stay as they are and change to happen. And it's just not like that. Mm. You need to be very proactive in taking steps towards change and when now, you know what it is yeah. you want that becomes easy doesn't it yeah yeah i mean you've got to put yourself in in a in a different society so to speak in order to right. um in order to change now what 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 was the first uh story of failure you shared with people uh, my story of failure yeah I have so many. Which one like, you know, I the first event you? where you saw, where you sat down and you thought, do you know what, this is the first time I'm going to talk about my, my celebration of failure. Okay, the entrepreneurs that I was meeting, you mean that very first time I met them or generally? Well, yeah, you know, I, I, up to you really, you know. Okay, so um, the stories of failure I was discussing with them were um, how my kind of, you know, my 25, almost it was about 22 years of um, uh, career I wasn't enjoying it anymore okay because mm. I didn't feel that I belonged anymore so to me that was a huge failure 
because I thought it was my fault. At the time, I thought it was me. And that's the reason I didn't belong. I didn't realize that it was the culture of the work that was not valuing my unique perspectives. And that's the reason I felt I didn't belong. And, you know, the, I think my biggest source of dissatisfaction with work was because I didn't matter and we want to matter, right? I didn't feel visible. I felt that I had given a lot of my life to this profession and all of a sudden I was invisible. I wasn't, um, um, I didn't matter. I wasn't valuable to them. And that hurt quite a lot. So that's the kind of story of failure that I had. You know, um, I remember clearly being offered a secondment role. And then I was told that I had misunderstood and there was no such role. Mm. And I was like, uh, I didn't misunderstand. English is my second language, but, you know, we definitely shook on this. I was offered a secondment role. And then when I kind of discussed it with somebody else, with our clinical director at the time, he said that the budget had been withdrawn, for example, mm. and they couldn't second you. And I just thought, well, had I been told that, I would have understood, I would have been disappointed, but I would have understood. However, being told I was mistaken was what bothered me, because I'm not stupid, you know. Why would you uh, treat somebody like that? So, it, you know, I didn't like the way I was being treated in a in a sense you know um and then the process of interviews came forward and I didn't want to apply for the role because as I said I didn't think I fitted that management kind of criteria uh but I was asked to um apply for the role by again the, the said person because he, he said I want to work with you apply for the role I really want to work with you I applied and I didn't even get an interview so that was, again, another sliding door moment for me. It was like, kind of need to leave now. It's not even funny anymore. It's like, you know, I really, really don't belong. And I think that lack of belonging yeah. um, prompted me to step up the search and just leave. Um, other failure stories? I have many. I've, I've set up so many businesses and I've, I've succeeded at some and failed at some. You know, I set up a um, hampering business years and years and years ago because, again, years ago I was desperate to get out but never did anything about it. And, you know, the environment that we're in is ever so important in the changes that we implement or not. And so back, gosh, before Harry was even a thing, would have been about nearly 20 years ago actually I was really unhappy with my job even back then I was really unhappy with my job but my then husband was like no don't leave you know do something else along the side um and I remember I went to um oil and vinegar um in our town center it was a really new shop I don't know if you ever had a shop like that nearby it was really gorgeous it just sold oils and vinegars and this guy was selling um his business obviously because it was failing but i had no sense of what business was like back then and i remember i went with a friend and he just said in a conversation he was selling was like oh, i want to buy it i love this place i want to run it da, da, da. and i came home and i said to my husband this is what i'm gonna do this is how i'm gonna get out of the nhs and it's like why don't you have your own hampering business don't buy that you know i thought okay i'll do that so i went and set up a hampering business which obviously i didn't know anything about so i kind of you know spent a ton of money buying stuff and then 
know how to sell really so I hate selling so that kind of went by but you know I guess you know what I'm trying to say is that um I love what I do now and it's a very different thing to um what I used to do but just because this one's successful doesn't mean that is the first thing I've tried, right? Yeah. I've tried so many other things that have failed before. You know, I became an estate planner, for example, because I was so desperate to get out. And I thought, right, I'm in a caring business. I'm going to become an estate planner because estate planners are carers also. And then that was, you know, again, for me, it was that element of selling. I had to then go out and sell and I hated to sell, right? So that kind of failed also. There are lots and lots of failure stories um and it's good to share them because i think it gives people that kind of convincer that you know people try different things and you might like it and you might not you know yeah. you just never know what you're going to fit into and what you're not yeah yeah de de definitely i mean there's so much so many opportunities for failure out there it's sort of never ending yeah. um and you know we rarely succeed in in uh in anything really um oh we do we do i'd like really? to challenge that we do succeed absolutely yeah absolutely we do succeed it's just defining what success means i think is one thing isn't it define what success means to you oh are you are you, are you asking me what what success not is particularly no i'm just no i mean i don't know i mean i don't know yeah i'm not sure what, what success what is, is success i think so, yeah i mean it's sort of it, it depends on the context really um you know for some people success is getting out of bed and making a cup of tea you know so uh you know it is contextual um but as you said we are more tuned to failures and and hurt and, and sort of pain than we are to to happiness and um successes because you know it makes us survive a lot longer and um, um and it doesn't though it doesn't because it kind of causes um deep unhappiness when we look at life like that so um i don't think too much changing see. the story is changing the story for me it's all about a story it starts with a story it ends with a story what's your story what's the story you're telling yourself and how can you tell a different story so that um you perceive the thing you're looking at differently I mean, the story, I mean, the, the reason why I have that story is because because I grew up with this sort of notion that you can't be arrogant and you can't have a big ego and you've got to be humble. Um, so for me, success is that sort of danger area, because if I get too successful, I'll get too ahead of myself and I get a big ego and I can't be humble anymore. So so um, X means Y, right? If you are successful, that means you've got yeah, a big ego. Yeah, yeah, yeah. OK, yeah. so do you see how? that's not you thinking really you've kind of ad adopted that thought haven't you yeah 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 you've adopted yeah. that is like patterns that we adopt you know yeah. both in our bodies and in our thoughts of what things mean but it doesn't necessarily mean that i mean name me a successful no. person do they have a big ego what, what what was that name me a successful person who who do you deem to be successful for example uh who do i deem to be successful um i think my son's been successful you know he's Does done he quite well uh, no he's all right actually yeah he's pretty good yeah <laughs> i rest my case it's just you know we we are brought up with these um 
kind of you know limiting beliefs yeah yeah and i think i'm successful actually i think i think i'm successful (laughs) um but i know my ego to a certain extent in the sense that i know when i start stepping into the um you know the the arrogant sphere uh for me so um i'm still a bit sensitive to that um because because i realize it when i see other people being in that arrogant sphere you know i my my kind of sixth sense switches on and i think oh there's an arrogant person here um and i can't really explain why that happens because there's a lot of things that we can't verbally explain things it's like a second uh, a second sense or a or a sixth sense as they say yeah. do you believe in that yeah and the sixth sense. sense definitely intuition again um i um silenced my intuition for years and years and years uh, i'm quite intuitive but i silenced it for years and hence uh, all my kind of chronic pain issues i had chronic shoulder back pain neck pain uh, you know constantly in and out of chiropractor um clinic and i think the second I kind of realized what the problem was and I stopped um, living that way and chose a different path that stopped that literally kind of an overnight disappeared so I do believe in intuition when we do act according to our intuition our sixth sense call it whatever you want to call it the kind of you know the patterns that we hold in our body again the messages that our body sends us when we're thinking about something um, our body has a certain intelligence that we don't give it credit to. So we, we are such head thinkers. And if we just stop thinking for a few moments and paid attention to the messages that we send by our body, we will do much better. How can we grow that? I mean, how, how can we um, uh, make it more? Awareness. Okay. Being, being aware. For me, awareness is everything, right? Awareness gives us choice. Um, when we are aware of whatever that's happening in our body, in our head, then we have a choice of what to do with it, okay? So, for example, I've got this kind of, you know, uh, awareness that um, this kind of behavior may lead to this kind of sensation in my body, right? And then I have a choice whether or not to go ahead with it, all right? And I think when we understand that we have a choice all the time um we then have a sense of kind of self-efficacy that we are capable we can do things our way and when that happens you kind of get this self-leadership that you've never known before so it's something that when you get you cannot um, have taken away from you and i think that's the biggest gift that kind of idea that we are 100% in charge of our own destinies, regardless of what's happening out there, regardless of all the circumstances, we get to choose all the time. And where does society fit into this? Because there's, um, you know, there's a big, uh, you know, as Freud would say, a superego, uh, which is the society and the culture that, that influences um, you and, and influences your choices. Again, understand understand what the influences are and decide whether or not you want to take them on. Yeah. Okay. So you know so where, whether you want to step out of, of society and step out of um, the cultural and social norms. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. If um, you 
know exactly what serves you and what your tendencies are. For me, understanding tendencies is really important. That's, um, again, another way that I work with my um, clients is helping them understand what their motivations are, what their attitudes are. And those motivations and attitudes are very much linked to the belief system that we have, which is, again, we've inherited from our ancestors from our kind of you know places that we've grown up in the society we exist within so when we understand that um then again we have a choice of how to be okay and if you imagine that each kind of motivation that we have each kind of you know thing that you can define on that motivation spectrum we fall somewhere within a continuum and again, learning to be flexible, learning to dial that up and down as and when we need to is really important. And that's how we actually impact and influence others, right? By stepping into their world, understanding the world as they do, mm. and then kind of leading them one way or another. Yeah, so we can dial it up and down as and when we want to. For example, you know, um, if I'm working with you in the same office and you are extremely tidy and you're very detailed and I'm just all over the place because I'm this great conceptual person and I create big kind of, you know, big visions and I'm really messy because I'm really creative and da-da-da-da-da. If we are to survive together successfully if we understand each other's tendencies then it's much easier for us to kind of step inside each other's words worlds rather you know step into your world and think oh he's a bit detailed so maybe i should actually tone down the big pictureness and just speak a few more details right mm. and when you're talking to me you might say i'm gonna bore her to death if i talk about the detail i'm just gonna kind of you know make her lose interest perhaps i need to be more succinct in the way i communicate with her if we were both to understand each other's opposing mm. tendencies and slid on that line just a little bit closer together as and when it was necessary, that would be, you know, such a great conflict resolution tool. <laughs> so, you know, you one know. thing is, is, is understanding oneself. The other thing is understanding the other. Uh, and the third thing is this flexibility that you can develop in order to come together with, uh, with the other person or entity. How, how how can we develop this flexibility in oneself to, you know, to allow us to... Awareness. I think right. for me, it's awareness and being curious. Mm. Okay. It's first having that awareness ourselves of what we are. Okay. Mm. Understanding self, as you say, it starts with us. We cannot change anybody else, right? But we can change us. We can't, we can't go and change the world. We can't go and change the circumstances, right? What we can change ourselves, right? So understanding myself, and then when I totally understand myself, and if I'm not getting on with you, I might wonder what leads me not to get on with either so much. What what is it? What is it that's we're kind of butting heads on, right? And if I'm curious, and I'm, if I'm kind of standing back trying to understand the perspective, I might actually ask you a few questions, yeah. and you know, find out a little bit more. Maybe I would offer you. Um, ask other people how you're perceived because we don't know how we're perceived at all so a little bit of exploratory exercises that um, we would engage in to actually understand ourselves and each other better and then 
if we wanted to have better relationship, we would have to be more flexible and kind of, you know, we don't have to. I don't have to be as detailed as you all the time. And you don't have to be as big picture as me all the time. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. if we wanted to, again, choicefulness, right? We have a choice to step a little bit closer together when we're working together. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit like a dance, isn't it? I mean, you know, uh, you know, the first few dances are a bit rough and 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 sort of uh, not very flowing, and then after a bit, it it, it uh, you start understanding the other person's um, micro movements and idiosyncrasies, and you know the ways that they um, move and think and talk and so on, and um, it does get better with time. But um, as as you said, once you kind of dissociate yourself from the automatic thinking and the automatic habits and behaviors you have in your head and, you know, be more aware of them and how you interact in society and with these other, you know, uh, other individuals, you start learning about yourself as well. Um, yeah. And, you know, you're you're probably a fan of all this stuff being taught in schools and sort of, a, you know. Uh at an early if age I could, if I could run so you know poor Harry's getting uh, you know Harry's tons of <laughs> Harry's coaching me these days actually oh really <laughs> yeah. why what have every you so, done every so often he'll just um pose this question like oh, that was a brilliant question well done you <laughs> and thank you because actually when somebody asks those questions of you you think even if it's your 12 year old son no they just make you think what did he ask I love you it. It was just a really simple thing. It was just really not relevant. I was going to a network networking event the other day. It was lovely. The sun was shining, but I knew it would be cold. I'm like, oh, I don't know what to wear. What shall I wear? And I said, I don't know. What do you want to wear? I don't, I don't know. I don't know whether, you know whether to wear a dress because it's sunny or will it be cold? Shall I wear a pair of trousers or something? And he says, mommy, if you knew, what would you wear? And I thought, okay. <laughs> That's a really good question. If I knew, I don't know. Let me think about it one more time. Okay, I've decided. So it's kind of, you know, asking questions that, rather than answering me. When I'm asking you what do you think I should wear, he doesn't immediately fall into the response mode. Yeah. Okay, and I think that's really powerful when you're met with questions that make you think, right? Um, I think it's really, really important to teach this at schools because if we are to reduce the area of conflict, if we are to understand each other, diversity and inclusion is something that um, everybody's rolling out as a training mechanism. And I get from my um, friends that work in large institutes that sometimes it's just a transmit only training that they're getting and they're left quite frustrated. So I think this is our chance actually to um, teach these skills to everybody. So it's about meeting each other halfway and it's about understanding ourselves and others fully, understanding that in each of us there is a uniqueness that needs to be celebrated. And unfortunately, most people don't even know what that uniqueness in them is. So if we're not aware of our superpower, how can we be aware of somebody else's, right? So it's this kind of thing that we need to work with in order to, one, accept ourselves as we are and understand that we are limited in what we can do but we can learn okay it's that process of learning moving always towards the unknown and also um how to 
communicate better and to resolve the conflicts at work because we are capable of understanding different perspectives. It's about perspective seeking also, isn't it? Rather than know that we're right all the time and I'm not interested in your opinion because I'm your senior and my superior and therefore there's no room for you to uh, sit around the table. You know, you're my deputy, but I'm not going to forward you any emails because I don't want to share anything with you. All right. So all of those things are what I'm used to, what are my experiences. Um, and it just causes that exclusive, you know, environment rather than inclusive environment where we should uh, feel that we belong in. Yeah. They're, you know, very, very human things. They're very human things to do. It's just that um, there's so much, I think it's the scarcity mindset, it's the fear um, also that's stopping people being totally honest and open. Um, so we have a lot of work to do, I believe, in some organisations, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's good that the cat is out of the bag, so to speak, that, you know, we're, 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 we're allowed to have that space to have this conversation and it is a difficult conversation it's not something that you know it's not uh, a bed of roses it's a bed of thorns to start off with uh, and a lot of people are going to get hurt because it's a new paradigm for them it's the new unknown so to speak um but we've got to be brave and um we've got to step forward and um i was Without on conversations yeah. we won't get anywhere you're right and yeah. they're not easy conversations to be had but again when we come from um the direction of total no blame no shame no judgment kind of conversation i'm only trying to understand you okay i am not a male i don't know what it's like to be a male i don't know what it's like to be a dad so i can't tell you that i feel you but can you tell me a little bit about what that feels like yeah Okay, so again, saying, I don't know, tell me, all right? I don't know what uh, being from Baghdad is like. Can you tell me a little bit about it, please, rather than just shy away from it? And that just opens up the line of conversation and communication, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And then when we talk, I actually realize, gosh, we're from different countries altogether, but we're quite alike, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, no, you're absolutely right. And, 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 um, I mean, what's great is 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 that you know you've you've sort of um, moved so so much since uh, you know since coming from the Middle East and um, you've learned so much and um, you know there's there's more to come so to speak. There's always more to come. <laughs> yeah, there's always more to come. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's interesting. I mean. Yeah, you know we've we've got to wrap up uh fairly soon so i mean i like to ask these questions sort of at the end and um so what 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 are your three top tips to to vafa who is you oh, know um about to you know just finish just finished you know the sort of the a levels going into the nhs you know finish your degree you're you're about to start your clinical work in the nhs you know, what would you tell Vafa that, you know, what are the three top tips to her? You know, because there's quite a few um, people from the NHS who listen to this. Mm. And, you know, the, NH the NHS is pretty difficult at the moment, you know, you know, with the, mm. you know, with the demands and COVID and, you know, um, 
the media and everything else that goes on politics what would you mm. tell them a woman that's sort of gone through it through it and sort of out the other side um is this shockingly about that's the first question for me okay is this shockingly about because if it's not what are the consequences what is the pain that you're sensing in your body every time you go to work because i sensed it i know what it's like that constant gut ache where i had to step outside of my values and do something that i didn't agree with so for me it's about doing a real good audit of what you love doing okay what your values are and where are they conflicting with your current life for me, it's about doing an audit of your strengths. Okay, what is your superpower? Understand your uniqueness. All of us have a certain uniqueness that is valuable to the place of work that we go to. What is yours and how is it being celebrated? Is it actually being celebrated or is it being violated? Okay, for me, um, everything that was suggested to be my weakness is actually my strength in my current role, which is something that I love doing. I get up excited about every single day. And when you find out what you really love doing and what your uniqueness is, is accepting yourself as you are exactly, without any sense of blame, shame, and judgment, and be unapologetic about how you show up, because that's when you are your true self and your, your true authentic self and kind of act from a place of love rather than a place of duty because duty sometimes um, leads us to resent the actions that we take. Whereas when we operate from a place of love, we just give and we're energized by it. We're not depleted. And unfortunately, we see the burnout, the level of burnout. And I've been there, I, I was there three times, three burnouts finally uh, got me out of the NHS on the third one. Um, when you give from a place of love, um, you're not likely to burn out, okay? Because you know your boundaries, you know when enough is enough, um, you just step back and give yourself time to recover um, because that's something that I never did. I worked very hard to serve others, my team at my own detriment. So I'm very, very familiar with that. So they're, they're the top tips, really. Understand that you have a choice. There's always a choice, right? You have a choice to say yes. You have a choice to say no. And for me, it's boundaries. The, the people I work with, mostly I teach them boundaries. It's like, you know, what do you want to say yes to? What do you want to say no to? What should you say yes to more in order to say no to the things that don't serve you and vice versa? So those are really, really important points to bear in mind. Um, choicefulness, boundaries, loving yourself as you are. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, it's been great listening to you and um, I'm you. looking forward to, see, you know, to seeing you um, move forward into other realms of, uh, of the unknown. You know, that's going to be interesting to see where you get to. Yeah, um, yeah. I think uh, the, the best thing for me is like I'm living the life that I wanted and I think, you know, the moment you choose to live the life that you want is a different kind of life, literally. Yeah. It doesn't mean that there are no difficulties, no challenges, but it just means that you are much more resilient in the way that you deal with them. So Yeah, I, and it's more interesting and, you know, more curious, as you said. Yeah, yeah.
you know, curiosity is there and it probably doesn't kill the cat, you know. It strengthens the cat, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It's been a You're pleasure welcome. speaking with you. Thank you. Take care of yourself. <laughs> and you.